Alabama Annie here with another episode of Stories and Songs. You know, if you're headed out west, there's a historic highway called Route 66 that runs east to west through several states following the same route the settlers took on their trek across this great land. It's just one of many popular highways built at the advent of the automobile, and every year thousands of travelers stop at roadside stations and tourist attractions. But the old home place is also located on one of these older highways. I know we've touched on this before, but many of my stories are written around historic U.S. Highway 11, which runs from the Gulf of Mexico to the Canadian border. There are many mysteries along this old highway as well, and here's one of them. This took place before the interstate system was constructed, when there were no giant truck stops or state rest areas, when travelers stopped where they could for gas, for food, or for a night's rest. Mystery at a Roadside Station Robbie Stokes was proud of his service station. It sat along U.S. Highway 11, just above Fort Payne, Alabama, in a grove of old oak trees, where a tavern had once stood. It had a paved pull-through, two new bright green service lights, and three pumps, two for gasoline and one for diesel. Robbie had painted the new concrete block building white with green trim around the two windows and doors, and he knew the place would pay for itself. At least he hoped it would, since he had taken out a loan at the local bank to build it. Inside the station, he had two aisles of snacks and automotive products that any customer might need or want. He'd also installed a brand new Coca-Cola chest, he kept stocked with bottles of ice-cold soda, and there was a table and chairs if someone wanted to sit down and rest a while. In the back of the station was Robbie's home. Inside the room was an army cot and a chair his mother had given him, a radio, and a rack to hang his clothes. There was a small kitchen area with a fridge, a gas stove and sink with a dish drainer, and a door leading into a small bathroom. It had a metal shower, a sink, and toilet. Robbie's station was the only one on this stretch of US-11 that stayed open all night. Every morning, Lou Graves showed up about 8 a.m. to work on cars in the garage next door or to pump gasoline for the customers. Robbie always took the night shift at the station most of the time, sitting outside the door in an old kitchen chair, listening to the night sounds in warm weather, watching the bats catch bugs around the nightlights, or listening to baseball on the radio in summer. In winter, Robbie would hole up inside reading a book or listening to the Grand Ole Opry or other live radio shows. He'd pump gas for nighttime travelers and diesel for the truckers. He'd repair the occasional flat tire or busted hose. On some nights, he was busy. But most evenings, he only waited on a couple of travelers, and sometimes his buddy Carl would drop in and bring them a few beers. One June night, Robbie was sitting outside the door watching the cars go by and listening to the radio. A big truck pulled in, and he pumped the guy some diesel and aired up a tire and sent the man on his way with a cold Coke and some peanuts. Then the highway grew quiet, 
and some country singer was playing his guitar and singing a song about his woman. As his voice wailed on and the station faded in and out with the nighttime static, Robbie noticed something moving across the road just out of the lights along the tree line in the underbrush. He sat looking, trying to see what it was. He thought it could be a deer since sometimes they came out to eat the red clover that grew along the highway. But before long, he could see that it was no deer at all. It was a man dressed in dark clothing, and he seemed to be darting in and out of the trees as if he were hiding. This raised Robbie's curiosity, so he stood up and walked to the edge of the road, peering across into the darkness. At first, he lost sight of the man, but then he saw him again as the man ran behind an old oak tree. What are you doing over there? Robbie called out, but the man did not reply. Come on out in the light. Ain't no use to be hiding like that, he shouted. Robbie figured the man might be a hobo come up from the tracks or just passing through. He'd had a few since he'd opened the station, and he'd always fed them and even gave them money when he could to help out. Robbie waited, but the man didn't come out from behind the tree, and just as he decided to go back into the station for his flashlight so that he could get a better look, he turned and found that man standing directly behind him only a few feet away. Robbie didn't rattle easily, but the way this man was acting, he thought to himself that he could be an escapee from some hospital or something. A few years back, Two patients from the mental hospital in Chattanooga had made it all the way down into Fort Payne before they were caught and taken back. The man was filthy. His pants and dark shirt were covered in what appeared to be dirt. He had a cap on his head, an old-fashioned cap like nobody wore anymore, and his boots were like something Robbie'd seen his grandpa wearing when he was a boy. Robbie tried to remain calm and looked the man in the face. His hair was gray and stringy. His skin was dark as if tan. He had a ratty-looking beard and wild, staring eyes that seemed to peer right through him. And Robbie noticed the man seemed to smell of damp soil and dirt. He could never recall seeing anyone in such a state before, and it frightened him. You need something to eat, buddy, Robbie asked. I got some Coca-Colas and peanuts, he offered, and moved toward the door of the station. But the man moved over and blocked his way. He didn't say a word. He just stared at Robbie. Robbie held up his hands. Now look, I don't want no trouble, pal. So if I can get you something to eat, why, I will. But if I can't, you just need to get on your way, he warned. This time, moving around the man, through the door, and he made a stand inside so as to block the man from entering. He turned to look at him again, but he let out a gasp. The man was gone. But then he heard a sound behind him and whipped around to see the man standing at the end of the counter. You ain't going to rob me. I don't keep no cash in that register, he warned, jumping over the counter in one motion, lightning fast, grabbing up his thirty alt six and cocking it like a cowboy in a movie. Now, I ain't going to tell you again. You get out of here, Robbie said, ordering the man to leave. He pointed the gun at him, but the man just stared at him. Go on, Robbie shouted, motioning toward the door with the gun. Then, 
to Robbie's relief, he saw a car pulling up to the pumps outside. But in that one brief moment, when he glanced at the car, he turned to see the creepy visitor had vanished. Robbie ran around the counter, looking at both sides of the door and into his room. He looked at the parking lot and the gas pumps. A man got out of the car and saw Robbie with the gun. He held up his hands. Hey, I ain't no robber, buddy. I just need some gas. Robbie lowered the gun. You see a man run off as you pulled up, he asked the customer. No, sir, I didn't see anyone but you, the man told Robbie. Robbie told the man what had happened while he pumped gas into his car. He glanced off this way and that into the darkness and back at the station. The man paid him and told him to be careful as he drove away. Robbie hated to see the man go. He returned to his chair, this time with the gun resting across his legs on high alert now, but the man did not return. After a long night, morning came without another visit. Relieved that the sun had come up, Robbie told his pal Lou what had happened the night before and said for him to keep his eyes open, but Lou told him not to worry. If I see him, he won't come back, the ex-boxer exclaimed, balling up one of his large hands into a fist. Robbie went into his room and settled down for a good day's sleep and was up drinking coffee by four, telling Lou goodnight and watched him drive off toward home. The sun set and twilight came, and the last of the sun dropped below the tree line as the night lights came on at the pump, and soon the bats were swirling and diving around for bugs again. As full dark came, Robbie grew nervous. Watching the tree line across the road, he kept the gun loaded and ready, propped beside the chair outside the station door. But the only visitors he had that evening was the raccoon who lived behind the dumpster and several cars needing fuel. He pumped some gas and sold some snacks and a few cans of oil before daylight, and he was relieved the man hadn't shown up again. It was three days after the man had first appeared that Mrs. Baker from down the way came skidding into the station. She fairly jumped out of the car looking all frazzled and said, I need to use your telephone. As Robbie asked her what was the matter, she told him that a man wearing dirty clothes with a ragged beard and filthy hair had stepped out in front of her car trying to make her stop. I almost hit him, she cried and went on to tell him she had just left the cemetery after visiting her husband's grave, telling Robbie what she'd seen there as well, where she saw a grave near her husband's looked like it had been disturbed. There was fresh dirt everywhere, she said, and then I saw that man. So Robbie got her a cup of coffee and dialed the sheriff for her and handed her the receiver as she sat on a chair at the table. He pulled out the shotgun and checked it to make sure it was still loaded while she talked to the sheriff, and she told him about the grave that looked as though it had been dug up and about the man. I'll tell you, I was one scared woman, she exclaimed, and I think you ought to go and check out that grave. It wasn't that way when I visited Bert last week, she said. Mrs. Baker hung around for a while until she had calmed down enough to be on her way. She thanked Robbie for his troubles. No problem, Mrs. Baker. You come back any time, he said, as he walked her to her car and closed her door for her before she drove away. Now, Robbie was on high alert. He knew that the man was out there somewhere, and he took up his vigil with the shotgun nearby. It was about an hour later that Robbie began to feel very uneasy. 
as if he were being watched. He scanned the tree line across the road using the flashlight. He didn't see anything at first and thought his mind was playing tricks on him again. But then, there at the edge of the parking lot, he saw him. Robbie stood up and shouted, Come over here, aiming the shotgun toward the woods. Do it or I'll shoot, he cried. The dirty man moved slowly toward him, his hands raised above his head. Robbie kicked the chair toward the man. Sit down, Robbie ordered, and the man did as he was told. Robbie kept the gun on him while he called the sheriff. The sheriff arrived in just a few moments with his sirens blazing and the red light flashing, and he got out of his car and strode over to them. He cuffed the man's hands behind his back. He put the man into the back of the patrol car and slammed the door and asked Robbie a few questions. Robbie told him about the night when he'd seen him for the first time, and they discussed the woman who had called about him as well. We'll find out who he is and where he came from, and he won't be bothering folks anymore, the sheriff assured Robbie as he drove away. Robbie watched them go, relieved that the man had finally been caught before he hurt someone or got hurt himself. But not five minutes later, the sheriff came screeching back into the parking lot of the station. He got out of the car. He raised his hands to the sky. He's gone. What do you mean he's gone? Robbie asked him. The sheriff looked as confused as Robbie had ever seen him. He was in the back of my car, right? You saw me put him in there. You saw me cuff him? Robbie said he had. Well, he wasn't in the back seat when we got to the jail. Wasn't a thing in that seat but some dirt and that old cap the man had on. Robbie felt a chill. That's how it was when he first showed up here. First he'd be over here, and then he'd be over there. It didn't make much sense, Robbie told him, and admitted it had scared the crap out of him. The sheriff scratched his head, looking concerned. Well... Let's just keep this between ourselves, son, he said. We'll get him. I know we will, but for now, let's keep it to ourselves. Robbie made a promise. I won't say a word about it, and I'll tell Lou not to either. The sheriff pulled his hat back on and put his hands on his hip. And I'll tell you something else. It's just like Miss Baker said when she called. I went up to the cemetery and it looked like something had clawed its way out of one of them old graves near Bert. I never saw anything like it, he exclaimed. Whose grave was it, Robbie asked. The sheriff shrugged. Some guy named Elmo Pitt, he said, turning toward the patrol car. Robbie watched the sheriff drive away and tried to forget about the events of the last few days. He switched on the radio and opened himself a soda and some peanuts. But he kept catching himself looking toward the tree line across the road. He admitted to himself he didn't like the long nights at the station as much as he had. He was always nervous and on edge, it seemed, always looking over his shoulder, feeling as if that man was about to show up again. But Robbie, nor the sheriff, nor anyone else around those parts ever saw him again. He was just one more unsolved mystery along U.S. Highway 11. Crazy Halloween Well, it's calling out your name 
Venues and private events. Santa Cruz, California. <laughs> 